Hope you guys are doing well. We are, uh, again, my name is Zach. Uh, I am pastor here at the Grove, and we've been in, in the book or the letter of Ephesians for a few weeks now. Um, we uh, ended chapter two last week, so I'm glad you guys came back. Uh, that was a little heavy, wasn't it? And so it was good, though. It was good. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I think it's online, um, and so you guys can go enjoy. Um, but we're in, we're in chapter three now. Uh, we're starting to move towards the center of this book, and things are going to begin to change. And, and this is really, this and next week's sermon are kind of the hinge of this book. Uh, so far, Paul, an apostle, which means just means messenger, um, he was someone who persecuted the church. Jesus intervened and said, hey, dude, stop doing that. Uh, he gets saved, and now he's an apostle messenger. Um, he is uh, one of the most prolific missionaries the church has ever seen. Um, and so he takes the gospel uh, to the Gentiles, which is just a fancy word for not Jewish uh, or nations, takes the gospel to the nations um, and, and, and begins to spread that gospel, the good news of Jesus, um, and that he has come for his people and spreads that to the nations, begins to plant churches, raises up leaders to lead those churches. Um, and this is the work of Paul. Paul is now in prison uh, for that work, and, um, and then he, he pins this letter to the church in Ephesus, which is why we call it the Ephesians. So it's the church in Ephesus he's writing this letter to from prison. Um, someone's probably writing it for him. He's uh, dictating it, and someone else is writing it, um, or he could be writing it, um, but that would be a custom back then, is that you would say what wants to be written. Someone would write it and take that off to the churches. So we have this letter, and the first half of the letter is Paul explaining what the gospel is, what the good news is. Chapter one is, you've been adopted by the Father if you are in Christ. If you've been adopted, then you've been redeemed by the Son, the blood of of Jesus has redeemed you. It's brought you from darkness and sin into the light that is Christ. And so you're in Christ. And if you've been adopted and redeemed, you've been sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit seals you and you have that confidence to walk with God the rest of your days. So you have this gospel. It continues on and talks about how we've been transferred from darkness to light, um, how God has reconciled us to himself, but also to one another. So there's this vertical reconciliation that happens that we have brought, brought back to relationship with Christ and God, but also back with one another. And so Paul spends two chapters just laying this out. And this chapter here begins to be a hinge going from um, gospel truth to what the gospel truth does to people. And it changes people. Gospel truth or gospel doctrine creates a gospel people. People aren't the same after responding to the gospel. And so Paul begins to hinge that. And I love this because, we'll, so what we'll do if you're, if you're a, uh, um, a guest with us is we'll go verse by verse through this passage. I will, then we'll go back through and kind of apply. This is a kind of a unique passage. There's, a lot of people skip this passage in Ephesians because they don't know what to do with it. Because um, Paul's just kind of talking about himself for a little bit. Um, but there's a lot of incredible application here that we'll get into and what this means in 2020 uh, in Spruce Pine and beyond. And so we'll go verse by verse. But one of the things that I love right at the beginning, we didn't read it to 14. But if you look at verse 1 in chapter 3, it says, For this reason I, Paul... And then in verse 14, he, go, he says it again. For this reason, I bow my knee. So, it, so for this reason, twice. So the first thing is for this reason. What reason? For all the stuff we just shared, all that gospel truth. It's because of that, Paul, and then he, he actually, he means to pray right here, and he gets distracted. <laughs> if you read, if you read um, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so in, in, in verse 1, I, you just imagine, this is real. Paul's like, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, let me explain that for a little bit before I pray. Like, that's kind of like what's going through his mind. Right? Like, i got to unpack this phrase I just said. And so he begins to do that. Um, and I really resonate with that because I oftentimes, when I go to pray, I get distracted, right? You're like, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And then it's like, okay, what am I having for breakfast? 
Um, but that's not, that's not it. You guys do the same thing, like, especially, you know, we're supposed to be listening, like, Adam's up here doing announcements, and you're, like, thinking about what's for lunch, right? <laughs> and uh, you guys do it. It's fine. I do it, too. Um, just don't tell Adam. He's not here right now. Um, he heard it already. But uh, you get distracted. Now, now, we get distracted in kind of bad ways, right? It's like we're trying to pray. This is not a, a bad distraction, right? So we believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God. So this is what we call like a holy digression, an inspired digression. So he digresses from his point. He changes his point of what he was going to make, and the Holy Spirit does some stuff here. That's really cool. And so we begin to get to see what Paul says. And so Paul says this, for, I, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. I think the first thing that we just noticed here is Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. It's weird because he's actually physically a prisoner of Caesar. So like, but he doesn't say that. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner. Paul is so held captive by the gospel. He has, like, chained himself to Christ and will go wherever Christ sends him, do whatever Christ says. He will go wherever Christ goes. He is so captivated by Jesus in the message of this gospel that he is prisoner to it. Now, Paul's an apostle, and he's, he's a prisoner. Apostle of Christ Jesus and a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Um, we, we will say uh, apostle is something that's special. It's a messenger for God. The apostles were people who met Jesus face-to-face after his resurrection. Um, and so here, Paul also gives himself another title, prisoner. One of our early church fathers, Ignatius, um, he, he, in, in his writings, he shares that he's like, I, I, I don't want to compel you like Peter or uh, Paul could because they were apostles, but I'm a convict. So, so Ignatius uh, relates himself to this title, that he's a prisoner for Christ. He's a convict. He is... Um, so captivated by the gospel that he is like a prisoner to Christ in, in, in a good way because Jesus is not a cruel prison guard, right? He's good. It's the kind of place we'd want to be. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So, so God has given Paul grace for himself, yes, Paul has been graciously shown the love of God, but not to keep for himself. He has been given the grace of God so that he can not just receive it, but take it with him and go and bring it to others. And so Paul ha- receives this grace, but he doesn't keep it to himself. He has been given it to be a steward of that. It's been entrusted to him that he may take it to the Gentiles, to the nations. Verse 3 says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So there's this phrase here, mystery, and we think of that, and what do we think of? We think of like the game Clue, or Agatha Christie, or um, Boxcar Kids, what do you say? Scooby-Doo? Yeah, Scooby-Doo, okay, that's, uh, that's okay, let's, yeah, that's really good. Why didn't I think of that? Um, no, it's really good. Scooby-Doo, mystery, right? It's like the mystery bus or van or something. I don't know. Uh, and so they do this whole thing where, like, we have this idea of mystery. And to us, mystery means something that was unknown is now made known. That is not what's happening here. It's, it's really important for us to know this. Um, and we'll tell probably why, but let me, let me unpack this. Um, this is not that, that this plan of God is some new plan. But it's the same plan that's always been and has been recorded in Scripture is now being made clear. Something that was always there has been made clear. 
Think about it like this. Some of us may know this. I'm not going to call anyone out. Some of us may remember this. When TVs first came on the scene, okay? Um, when TVs first came on the scene, they were like really cool. There was a, you could see a picture from somewhere else in your living room. And it was grainy. It was black and white. There was no color. There was like lines in it. There was waves in it. So they, you had this picture. The full picture was absolutely there, but it was very unclear. But it was something they've never seen before, so it was good enough. It was amazing. But then you go through time, you start to add color, you start to take some of that graininess away, you start hearing words about pixels and, 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 and definition and, and, and SD and HD, and, and then now what do we have? We have like Samsung 8000K curved screen all the way around, you can't go anywhere without seeing screens. So now we have this incredibly clear picture, same picture as before, it's just more clear. It's been made known to us, it's the, the graininess has been taken away. The lines have been taken out, the color is there, it's popping off the screen, like you could almost touch it. That's what's happened here. The same, and and this is important for us for two reasons. One is there's no new mysteries for us to figure out, okay? Um, The the Bible is sufficient. Now, 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 hear me say this. We will always learn things about Christ that we've never known before. We'll see in a second the unsearchable riches of Christ. Another word is unexhaustible riches of Christ. So we'll always be digging deeper into the gospel and deeper into Jesus. But there's no new basic doctrine that we need to figure out. The mystery, the, 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 the story has been made clear to us. And, and so we got to be kind of weary when people figure out things that 2,000 years of Christians didn't know. Because that's like, okay, well, hold on a second. Like our, and I, and I, I hold tradition as theology pretty high. Not tradition what we do. I think tradition what we do kind of gets silly sometimes. But our, our tradition of theology, like what we believe, is, is old. And it should remain old. Like we, I mean, when new things pop up, and like, oh, we have this new idea of how the end times are going to work. And you're like, well, like, okay, cool. Did, did Paul not know how the end times are going to work? Did, Augustus, did Ignatius not know? Did Augustine not know? Like, we all of a sudden figure something new out. So, like, I like tradition when it comes to theology because it's something for us to stay. Like, Bible first, for sure. Tradition second, right? It's like, okay, so we, so we see this in Scripture. In 2,000 years of Christian believe this, this is probably true. If you see something in scripture and no one's ever seen this before, and we're like, oh, okay, well, let me check, make sure. Because that's like, am I going to be the first one in 2,000 years to figure something new out? just gets a little scary for me, okay? Um, so, and Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. So, we have that going for us in scripture as well. Um, the second reason why this is important is, is for us, is when it comes to scripture, the Bible is 66 books. Sort of. Um, there's this one thing, the, the, the Minor Prophets was actually just one book back in the day called the Book of the Twelve, so there's some differences. But we have 66 books in our English Bible, and um, it's, it's 66 books, but it's one story. From beginning to end, it's telling one story. And there is so much continuity in that story that it's crazy. J.J. Abrams couldn't do that, okay? It is God and the Holy Spirit has created one story through 66 books, dozens of authors, and we see that all throughout. From the very beginning, you have, in the very beginning, you have God created Adam and Eve, and it was good for like a whole two chapters, and then sin enters in and destroys it all. But in, in Genesis 3.15, God makes a promise that he's going to send someone to rescue his people. He's going to be crushed, but he's going to crush the head of the serpent. There's this, there's this promise. The first real mention of the gospel is in Genesis chapter 3, and it continues on from there. Every time um, there, there's, this, there's these stories after stories that point us to Christ. I mean, so last week we talked about circumcision. It was a really fun talk. 
And um, when we talked about that, we talked about how, you know, back in the day when God made an a-, a covenant with his, with his, um, with his guy Abraham, he, he, had, he had Abraham become circumcised. It was this external, if you don't know what that is, don't Google it, but ask someone. Um, so he had to be circumcised, and it was this external sign that he was part of God's people. And Moses, who, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, probably, most likely, most of it, he, he, he shares this at the end of Deuteronomy, that there is a day coming when that sign will no longer be external, but it'll be internal. That something will happen to our hearts that will show that we're, we're the people of God. And that is, that is New Testament stuff in, in, in the first five books of the Bible, right? And every time, so, so the fir- beginning, so you have, um, you have uh, a seed, is a, a, a child is promised to Eve is going to come and save the world. And then Eve has a child. And if you're just reading this straightforward, you don't know what's going on in the world and what Christianity, you'd be, you could get really excited at that point in the story, right? And be like, this is the child. She had one, just like God said. But then God shows, oh, no, that child's no good. He's going to kill his brother, right? <laughs> like, and so, like, it's, all, it's always pointing you to a, a, another person, another person, but it always tells you how that person is not the one you're looking for. Over and over again. Because then God, God decides to bring a flood to the world, start over, kind of recreate this whole thing with Noah. And you could get really excited because Noah was called righteous. You'd be like, okay, Noah's the one. Noah's the one we're looking for. And then what does he do? He gets off the boat. He, he grows a vineyard. He gets drunk in his tent. His kids either do or don't do something to him. We're not really sure about that. But he, he dishonors himself, and he sins in a very big way. And so we're like, okay, so it's not Noah. But what does he do? He, he, he has this crisis of faith in the garden, in a garden, just like Adam and Eve had a crisis of faith in the garden, just like our king in the garden wrestled with moving forward to the cross. But unlike the previous stories, he surrenders to God the Father in the garden, redeeming Noah, redeeming Adam, and redeeming us, right? Like it's always pointing to Christ. The Old Testament is a book about Jesus. That's what it is. And so, and so man, like this is why this is important because it's, it was unclear to people. It's been made clear to us and we'll never see it the same way again. Like, if you read the Old Testament knowing it's about Jesus, it's, it's, like, it's like watching the sixth sense and then going back and watching the second time. There's just things you can't unsee, right? So sixth sense, if you haven't watched it yet, this is on you, okay? You have like two seconds to watch it before I ruin it for you. Um, but the, the, the point of this story, the sixth sense, is, is the dude was dead the entire time. And they actually kill him in the very beginning of the story, and you just missed it. Like, he literally gets shot, and you're just like, okay, well... But you watch it like he's alive, and at the end it reveals to you he's dead. And a comedian once pointed out that for us, it was actually more believable that his wife hated him and wouldn't talk to him than it was that he was a ghost, right? <laughs> like, like, he's like talking to his wife, and she doesn't even respond, and we're like, that makes sense. That's pretty much my life. Um, but in reality, in reality, that was Nate Bargatze. That was not Zach. Um, but uh, I'm not that clever. And so, but the reality is that... Um, if, if you actually go back and watch the movie, it's super clear that he was dead the whole time. It was unclear to us. It's not that it didn't exist. No one went back and changed the movie after the ending. It was there. We just didn't see it. In the same way the Old Testament has the picture of Christ for us, it was just unclear to those watching. And, and one of the reasons why it was unclear is because there was a veil over their eyes that God has now lifted for his children and they can now see scripture, and the Holy Spirit illuminates scripture for us that we may see Christ through it all. Verses six through nine give us what was actually made clear. It says this, 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all these saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is, pl- what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So the mystery was not, would God save people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe? Would, would God save, extend salvation to the Gentiles? The mystery, the, what was unclear was how he would do that. It's in there, but it was unclear. Because since the, since the beginning, people could join Judaism. They just had to go through rituals, and they had to get circumcised, and they had to become Jewish in order to be a part of God's people. The mystery that's been revealed is you don't have to become Jewish to come to God anymore. God has made a way for all people. There's no laws to follow. There's no rules to follow. There's grace has been given to you so you can be brought into the family without changing, without becoming Jewish. You can be brought into the family. Something happens in your heart, not externally. Now, that heart change will lead to external change. Amen? But something happens to your heart that changes you, that is the sign of who you are, this new creation. And so it's not so much, the mystery wasn't, would God, God extend salvation to the Gentiles. It was how in which we do that, the radical nature and how he would do that. It wasn't by following certain laws or rituals. It was by receiving his grace through faith. That's how God would save the nations. It also mentions the unsearchable riches. Another way to say this is the unexhaustible riches of Christ. Unexhaustible. Unexhaustible. I don't know if you guys have noticed yet, but I pretty much preach the same sermon every Sunday from a different text. It's always about Jesus. It's always about the cross. We're just in different texts every Sunday. Makes my job pretty easy. But this is what God has done, right? It's unexhaustible. Whether we're, in, whether we're in Mark, which is literally just about Jesus, easy to see. Whether we're in Ephesians, which is talking about Jesus. Or whether we're in Esther or Jonah or Ruth, which we'll be in after this. It is about Jesus. We'll always be preaching Jesus from up here. Always. What has been made known to Paul, he now through the power of grace, the power of God working in him, is making that known to others. What has been made known to him, he's making known to everyone else. Verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to the heavenlies. Okay, here's something amazing. The church, all of you right now who are in Christ and every other place in the world are here to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world, yes, but also to the cosmos, like to the angels, to the enemy. Like your life, the way you follow Christ you are still here to make his grace, his grace, his wisdom, his goodness known to everyone around you, both seen and unseen. This is amazing responsibility. This is amazing. Like, we get, we're, we're, like God could just take us up to heaven if he wanted to, but he leaves us here to show his glory to the world, to the heavens. That's us. That's what we get to do. It's a really high view of the local church. It's a really high view of God's people in the local church. And that 
that responsibility would be crushing if Paul didn't just say that there's power in grace that works through us. If we didn't just sing, it's not I, but Christ through me. And so we are the church. And we, we here at the Grove, we, we love the church. Um, but there's this saying that comes up in our culture that I want to talk about for a second. And I understand why people say it, but people would say something like, I love Jesus, I just don't like the church. I love Jesus, I just kind of hate the church. And listen, I, I get that. On a really deep level, I understand that the church can be hurtful. The church has wounded people unintentionally, hopefully. The, the church has done great damage to, 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 to Jesus' name across the ages. But God has not given up on his church. And so we shouldn't either. And you guys know that because you're here today. But every member meeting that we have, or membership meeting where people can come learn about the church and become members or learn how to become members, um, I say the same thing every time. And I, I, I say it, it's a blanket statement, but it doesn't mean it's not insincere. I really do mean it. Um, but I, I always tell people, like, I understand that you might be hurt by the church. For whatever reason, God has brought a lot of people to the grove who have been hurt by churches. So this place has become kind of like a healing place for a lot of people. And I get that. And um, I'm thankful people give church another, a second chance, but I always want to take a moment just to apologize for the way, as, as one of God's leaders in a local church, I want to apologize for the way the church acts, for the way this church can act, for the way that I can misrepresent my king and wound people. I'm not naive enough to think I do everything right all the time. I know that I can be impatient. I know my sarcasm can wound people. I think it's awesome, but I've realized it can hurt people. And so I try to dial that back as much as I can. And Marjorie reminds me when I don't, usually through like a, like a kick under the table or something. Um, but I know that I can wound people, and so I always want to say just, I'm sorry. Like if I haven't let you down yet, just give me some more time. It'll happen. I say that all the time, and it's true. I don't want it to happen, but I know that it will. And so don't give up on the church just because the people in the church can do dumb things, can say dumb things, can hurt you. God hasn't given up on his bride, and we shouldn't either. So while I resonate and understand why people would say that, it really doesn't make any sense because Christ died for his church. So if you love Christ, then you should love his bride. You should want to be a part of it. So don't give up. And thanks for being here. Verse 11 12, and then we'll hit 13, and we'll go through and apply all this stuff. It says in verse 11, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, so Paul speaks of this boldness he has for Christ um, because of the faith he has, this boldness, this confidence. And, and it really would take boldness and confidence to continue preaching the gospel that you know could end you up in jail, that you know could end you up dead because you have actually done this to previous Christians. So you know where this heads, but the boldness he gets from Christ, his, the boldness he gets because of his confidence that he has with access to God through faith. Oh man, that boldness. If only we had some men and women that had that kind of boldness of, I'll do whatever I want, to, whatever God calls me to do, I'll be a prisoner, I'll be captive, I'll do whatever he tells me to do. I will go wherever he goes, I will say whatever he says. But then he says in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He pleads with the Ephesians not to lose heart because all the suffering I'm doing is for your glory. 
I'm pouring my life out, Paul says. I'm pouring my life out, and, and, and I'm a prisoner for Christ, and I'm held in captive and in chains and, and suffering for you, for your glory, that the gospel might spread to you, to your neighbors, to your communities, so that God may make your, you his glory in Christ. And then Paul will go on to pray a prayer before giving three chapters of instruction. So why is this important? What, 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 do we, what do we do with this? Well, the thing we need to realize is that Paul is a missionary. He is going for, he has been going from town to town on these mission trips to sh- plant churches, to share the gospel, and to, um, to really just get after uh, God's plan in these places. He's been sent by Christ to the nations. He wanted to go to his Jewish brothers, but God had another plan for him. God sent him to the nations, to those who aren't Jewish. And just like Paul has been sent, if you today are here in Christ, you have also been sent. There is no Christian who is not also a, um, not a sent one. Well, let, me, let me quote Charles Spurgeon here. Um, this is going to be seeming like a harsh quote. Uh, I probably wouldn't word it like this, but I'm not the Prince of Preachers. Charles Spurgeon is, so I'm not going to change it. Um, this is what it says. He says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ, or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. Man. Some of us who have a silent tongue about him, that could be harsh, but let's be honest. If we love something, we talk about it, right? Like, what happens when a new Star Wars movie comes out? The next four weeks of illustrations are all from Star Wars up here, right? Because I love it, and I just absolutely love it. And so, like, if a Star Wars movie comes out, I'm like, guys, here's a good illustration for this in the Bible. It's <laughs> Kylo Ren or Obi-Wan says this. So this is what happened. Like, I love it. I did the same thing when, when, ta- when uh, Claudia's Tacos first opened. What was, like, what were they talking about all the time? Claudia's Tacos. I was, like, her free evangelist. I thought she'd give me free tacos. She did not. <laughs> but I would still pay for them because they're amazing. If you love something, you talk about it. That's why people post pictures on social media, because they love something. They love their kids, or they love the food they're about to eat. Like, they want to share that with the world. And so we, we share with others what we love. And so his, his quote rings true. We know that logically. It may be hard for us to hear, but it rings true. God has sent you in Christ to be a missionary. You have been sent if you grew up in Spruce Pine, Burnsville, Newland, all the other villes that I don't have time to name, Bakersville, Micahville, there's a lot of them. If you live there because you were born in this community, you did not choose to be here. God sent you here. God sent you to Spruce Pine. God sent you to Micahville. He sent you to Burnsville. Let's say you moved here. You think you moved here. God sent you here. I don't know if Spruce Pine advertises like, hey, we're a cool place to live, but you know, somehow God brought this place on your mind. Maybe it was through a job, maybe it was through something, but he, he orchestrated history so that you would be here because he sent you here. If you work at like Altec, you don't, you don't just work at Altec, God sent you to Altec to be a missionary. If you work at Sabelco or the Ingalls or the schools or office, like God sent you there to be a missionary, to be on mission for him, making much of his name wherever you go. Your paycheck is God's way to providing for you while you're a missionary. This is what we've been called to. So if you find Christianity boring, it's because you're not playing in the game. You're sitting around, like, because like, there's, this, there's this sense that we think um, this is the professional Christian who's up here. 
and, and then everyone else is kind of like JV Christian. They don't have to do much. They don't need to talk about Jesus much because this guy does it. No. My job as a pastor to, is, equ- is to equip the saints for ministry. And we're going to do that at the end here. But everyone has a part to play. You've been sent. So what does this passage mean for us? I think, well, I think first thing is we, just, we need to take a moment to see Paul as an example, as a missionary. Someone who's been sent like us. Someone we can emulate. In fact, Paul would even say in another letter to imitate him as he follows Christ. Imitate Paul as Paul imitates Christ. Follow Paul as Paul follows Christ. So going back through this, not verse by verse necessarily, we'll pick out a few. Verse one, are you a prisoner? Are you held captive to the gospel? Are you so captivated by the gospel that that it's what you want to talk to people about? Are you so captivated by the fact that God the Father has adopted you as a child? Are you so captivated by the fact that the Son gave up his life, that God would die on a cross to redeem you back to himself? Does that that stir your soul? If it does, then you need to do something with that. You need to do something with that. This may seem harsh, but we think about grace for a second. Paul says all of this is empowered by grace. This sharing, this being a prisoner, this being a missionary is empowered by grace. I think sometimes we misunderstand grace. Um, grace is God giving us his, his, himself freely and us, us not having to earn it. We often think of grace as negating effort or saying we don't have to try because we have grace. No, no, no. Grace does not negate effort. Grace negates earning. It's not that you don't do anything once you become a Christian. You just don't have to do anything to earn God's love. You don't have to do anything to earn God's acceptance. It's been freely given to you, and so now you have what D.A. Carson would call a grace-driven effort. You, you, you live for God. You follow Jesus driven by the grace he's given you that's caused you to want to do these things. So we talk to others about Jesus. We share Christ empowered by the gospel. We are ministers of reconciliation, sharing with others the mystery that has been revealed to us. We want to give that to others. We, so we pray, and we talk, and we share, and we make relationships, we do all these things to try and share others with Christ, to try and bring others to God. That's what we're doing, right? We're bringing, we're bringing Christ to them, and we're also trying to bring them to God. We're trying to like, get them together to meet so that Jesus would save them and change them and redeem them and adopt them. So that's what we're trying to do. So how do we actually do it? Like, like, like Paul just got on a boat and started heading around to cities and preaching in synagogues. There's not a lot of synagogues in Spruce Pine, so like, we can't follow his example that closely, right? Uh, and so what do we actually do? Like what, so what does it look like to be a missionary in Spruce Pine? There's a ton of ways. Uh, we're going to go from easiest to a little more bold, okay? First thing, just make some cookies for your neighbors. Like celebrate every stinking holiday there is. Like make Arbor Day cookies. And just like, like little trees. Or Christmas tree cookies, call it Arbor Day cookies. And just like, go out. is that Arbor Day about trees? I feel like it is. Okay. Uh, and go out to, to neighbors and be like, hey, Made you some Arbor Day cookies. If you, if you don't know how to bake, just buy some and put them on a platter. Don't, like, tell them you made them, but, like, make it look nicer. If they assume you made them, they assume. It's not on you. Uh, don't do that. But just, like, make, do something. So there, there's literally a day. There, there's a holiday for every day of the year. You just got to Google what's today's holiday. There's, like, weird ones. Star Wars has its own day. May 4th coming up in a couple months. We're pretty excited about that. We're going to make some Star Wars cookies, go to our neighbors. Like, we're just stoked about that. But you're building relationships with people who live around you. God sent you to your street for a reason. So let's start getting to know those who live around us. Bake cookies. How, how much easier could that be? 
Uh, one of the other things you can do is just uh, ask people about things. Uh, something I started this week. It's not very. It's pretty new for me. It's, it's working pretty well, though. Um, I learned it at seminary. Uh, someone was doing it, and I ask questions now about tattoos in in in, in jewelry. Here's what I mean. I see someone at the gym has tattoos. I'm like, hey man, those are really cool tattoos. Are they have any religious significance? They start talking. They're like, oh no, no, I'm not really religious. Me neither. You know, it's cool. So you can talk to people about stuff by just asking about tattoos. Some people think tattoos will, you know, keep you out of heaven, right? They're not going to do that. So you can ask about them, right? We know that's not true. Um, I hope it's not true because I'm in trouble. Um, So we ask, uh, jewelry, like there's a a guy at Ingalls this morning had a cross, a piece of cross jewelry. And I was like, hey, hey, bro, I really love that cross. Like, is that, does that have any significance to you? No? Oh, okay. Like, that was, that was it so far. But I see him every time I go to Ingalls, we're going to continue talking, you know? Like, you're just building relationships with people. And that's really just step one of, of sharing this gospel. It's just, just getting to know people. Talk to people. Get out of your comfort zone. Be so captivated by what God's done for you. You want to see him do it for others. You get out and start talking to people. A uh, little more bold. Okay, a little more bold. Ask people how you can pray for them. Ask people, like, I know this is, like, this is starting to get out of your comfort zone, but just try it. I've done it a few times. No one's ever told me no. Go down to DTs. There's this guy there. I'm like, hey, hey brother, me and my kids are be praying tonight. Um, how, how can we pray for you? And they just, people just, just, like, share stuff. People just will open up and be like, hey, could you do this? And then, and then, and then two things you got to do. You got to write it down so you remember to pray, okay? So write it down, like, and they can even see you write it down. No one cares. Like, right, hey, I'm not writing your name down. I just gotta, I gotta, I'm going to forget, so let me write this down. Actually pray with your kids or pray however you say it. And then next time you go in there, bring that little notebook or, or iPad or whatever. Okay, okay, this guy, sister. Okay, hey, dude, I, be, I was praying this week with my kids about your sister. How's she doing? She doing okay? Like, bring it back up again. Like, you can do this. Like, this is really, I know it's out of your comfort zone, but this is really simple ways to begin talking to people about the things that are heavenly and not just football and, and Star Wars and stuff. It's starting to go above that to begin to talk about things and find, and find entryways to talk about Jesus and the gospel. Because at some point, now here's where we're going to get really out of comfort zone. At some point, you've got to talk about Jesus. Arbor Day cookies aren't going to save anyone. <laughs> Tattoos aren't saving anyone, right? We've already talked about that. Sometimes the people think they will make you unsavable. That's not true. Arbor Day cookies aren't saving anyone. Cross necklaces aren't saving anyone. Jesus saves. So at some point, we have to explicitly mention the gospel, Christ, and what he's done. So, so one thing I would just tell you is, can you explain the gospel in like a couple minutes? You sh- if you're a Christian, you should be able to do this. I'm not trying to put shame on you. If you can't do it, don't get upset. Just go figure it out. The, man, the gospel is that God, like, let's, let's try it. The gospel is God um, created all things and they were good. Man has rebelled and sinned against God, but God has made a way for man to come back to him. He sent his son to live the, the life that we should have lived, lived, we couldn't. He died the death we deserve to die, and, and now we don't have to. He was raised again from the dead to get to show power over sin and death. And now if we repent and believe, we can share in that resurrection with Christ and live with him forever. Real quick, that's the gospel. Now, we can nuance it a little bit more based on what we learn about these friends that we make relationships with and kind of focus on some things with them and relate it back to them. But real quick, that's the gospel in like 60 seconds or less. We should be able to share the gospel. That was really condensed. I could talk about unexhaustible riches, right? We could talk about the gospel all day. But that's just a really short way to share with others. One of the ways we talk about here at The Grove is to just be able to share your story. 
Like, not, and, and, and so oftentimes that's taken as conversion story. It doesn't have to be your conversion story. Just share what God's doing in your life right now. Just like whatever, whatever God's teaching you, whatever God's doing in your life, just share that. Talk to that people. Talk to people about it. As it comes up, pray, ask God for openings, and talk to people about it. Um, one of the ways I think is really easy here in the Bible Belt, but it, it, it's difficult, but then th- I think this is an easy way, is if you talk to someone about Jesus here in Spruce Pine or Burnsville or Avery County, they already got him. They don't need him. That's like, just like, that's your answer. Like, oh, I got Jesus, bro. You don't need to preach to me. I got saved when I was six, and, you know, I'm going to heaven when I die. But they have no desire to follow Christ, so you start to be like, okay, well, hold on. Like, that's weird. Um, one of the easiest ways just to, like, bring up things is just talk about God in church. The church is, the, is, is to display the manifold wisdom of God, right? So if someone tomorrow at work says, how was your weekend, how do you respond? One of the ways you could respond is, man, I, it was awesome. Sunday morning was great. Like, we, we got together, we sang, there was an okay sermon, but then we sang some more, and um, it was just great. I love, I love meeting with my church. Like, because people, most people don't talk about that. Most people are just like, either it was good, or they were just like, well, you know, the preacher yelled at me for a while, and... Um, you're, you're, it's coming, don't worry. I'm, a ha- I'm almost there to yell the yelling part. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, so like, like but to, to, to see a joy in people's lives about meeting with the people of God can actually start to show it and, and reveal the manifold wisdom of God, the joy that can be found in Christ that most people don't have because they're not following him. So talk up home group. Maybe like, you, you know, Wednesday, like, hey, what'd you do last night? <sighs> home group was awesome. We did this. And if home group wasn't awesome, don't lie. Um, so you can say, oh, I, was, I did this thing with church and it was cool, I guess. But like, if it was good, just be like, it was awesome. You know, like, we did this, we ate, we ate food together. It's got, someone shared their story and it was like, man, people were crying and it was so cool. Uh, whatever. But just talk up the body of Christ. And I don't just mean the grove. Like, I, you guys are here, so it would make sense to hear. But like, I wish every church would do this, that the church was so spoken highly of, not just Sunday mornings, but the church as a whole, the people of God was so spoken highly of by the people of God that people would want to come in. They'd be like, man, that would be, I, w- I would love to be a part of a community like that. I would love to be part of a community of people who, who welcomed me and loved me and, and did this. Like, oh, man, that would be cool. Where, where, how, do I get, how do I get involved in this? Like at home groups? Um, so, so, so the thing, then, then you can invite people to church. Invite, you can invite people in. That's why we put invite cards on your seats today. There's also an index card and a pen underneath your seat. That's for later. Don't worry about it. I should have told that earlier. Um, that's, for, that's for later. We'll get there. But we put an invite card in your church so you can invite people to church. Now, also, just all cards on the table. Also, those, those invite cards have an expiration date because we're moving buildings and changing times. So, like, we've got to get rid of these to be good stewards of what we spend on them. So, um, so, like, just start passing these out like they're candy. Don't litter, but, like, just pass them out a lot so we can get through what we have. Like, we want to be good stewards. Um, and we'll get new ones for a new building uh, when, we, when we get in there in a few months. So, uh, so yeah, invite people to church. Invite people to home group. We have people who come to home group who don't come to church, who don't believe in God. But they're so captivated by a community that would welcome them and love one another. And not well either, by the way who try to love one another and repent when they don't do it well and ask for forgiveness. They want to keep coming back to home group. So invite people in. Jesus said they, you will, they will know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And what better way to display your love for one another than to bring people into where you love one another? This is just a bunch of ways you can write down. This is us equipping you to go out and do the work of ministry. This is what you've been called to do. This is why you've been saved and left here. 
and not taken up to glory. Because God has a mission for you. This is your role to play. Your role is not to play referee and, call, and blow the whistle every time there's a foul at church, but it's to get out there and score some points and share the gospel and, and love people and care for people and talk about Jesus, make much of Christ, display the glory of God to the world. I'm going to read for 2 Corinthians chapter 5 to prove to you again that this is all of our jobs, not just Paul's, not just mine. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. It's kind of a long passage, but it's so good I don't want to break it up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we, are, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Listen here. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, here's a popular one you might know. Listen here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you had a desk in this, this Christianity thing, you had a desk and it had like a nameplate on it. You know, some people have, like, you go to like a principal's office, like, principal, doctor so-and-so, or, you know, manager, so like manager, Michael Scott, right? So if you had a, um, this is a dumb office reference. If you had a desk in this Christian thing, uh, it would say on there, Minister of Reconciliation, Ambassador for Christ. That's who you are. That's the task, the role that you've been given to play. And so you, you got to play. you got to get in there. We can't just sit on the bench all day and study the plays. we got to get out and run some. So, so the question is, are you so captivated by the gospel, the incredible news that he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness in him? So you might come to God. So you might have a way to spend your entire life and future with him. Has that captivated your soul so much that like Paul, you would say, you would say, take heart. What does he say? I lost it. Hold on. I'm there. For I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Would you be willing to do whatever it takes to suffer, whatever it takes to, to, to make others the glory of God, to persuade others, to compel, implore to others to be reconciled to your God, to Jesus? Would you be willing to suffer? Would you be willing to do whatever it takes to do that? Oh man, just, just imagine with me for a second what it would be like if, if us as a people would be, take seriously our mission to take this message to the world. 
What would it look like for us to, to, take, our, to, to take this message, to go out, the, go out into the, to the places we live, the places we work, the places we play, and, and, and to be good neighbors, to be good friends, to be good workers, and to share the love of Christ with our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends? What would it look like? Like, how might that change our community? How might that, le- how might that just turn Avery, Mitchell, Yancey counties upside down for the sake of Christ? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be a place you'd want to live for the rest of your life? I Man, I, I would. I'm dying here no matter what, unless God like, comes out and tells me. So let's do it, because my kids need a place to go when they get older. So we've got to keep this thing going. So we're going to end things a little different. Every Sunday, we respond to the gospel. We, 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 our, our, our gathering may seem like it's not well planned out. It's as well as planned out as I can make it. And uh, we, we, we sing, we welcome, we read, we, we sing, we read, we pray, we declare the gospel in all of those things. And then we hear the gospel preached from the word of God, and then we respond to it. Because there's, there's, you can't just hear the gospel and do nothing. The gospel demands a response. And so we respond by singing and praising God. We respond by uh, eating and drinking communion. We, we eat the bread to remind ourselves that God uh, in Christ has been torn apart. His body broken so that we can come into the presence of God. That like his body being torn apart, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn so that we might enter, um, enter into God's presence. And his blood was shed so that we might be washed clean because there's nothing but the blood that can clean us. And so we are washed clean by the blood. So, we, so to remember that, because rem- we are so prone to forget, we respond every week with communion. Because some of y'all forget the blood of Christ by the time you get to the bottom of the steps. I know I do. And so we got to do this every week to remind ourselves. And so we respond. And we give. We ask our members to give. We don't ask guests to give. They can if they want. I'm not going to stop anyone. Goodness sakes. But um, if we don't ask them to, that was a dumb joke. Um, don't feel like you need to give if you're a guest here. That's clear. Um, but we ask our members to give uh, to God for his kingdom and what God is doing through the grove to advance that kingdom. And then we're going to do something a little different today. Under your chairs is an index card and a pen. We don't normally do stuff like this. It makes me a little, uh, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. Um, there's an index card and a pen. It might be hard to reach. I'm so sorry. We don't want to put it on your chairs because you might think it's trash and throw it away because you guys are so, such clean freaks. Uh, that's not true. Uh, but so, so it's underneath your chair. Here's what we want to do today. I think all of the people here who are in Christ, you probably know someone who's not. Or at the very least, hopefully, you know someone who's not walking in the joy of following Christ, and we can talk about what that means later, but you know someone who needs to follow Jesus, who you want so desperately to follow Jesus. You're, you're one person that you want to pray for, that you want to talk to, that you want to build a relationship to, that you want to share Jesus with. That one person, I want you to write their name down. Just, you can just write their first name. We don't want to be like weird and someone come to church and be like, why is, someone, why is my first and last name on this piece of paper? You know, that, that's how you get into cult territory again. Uh, we just left that, so we're trying not to go back. And, uh, um, and so write, write my first name down. And then what we're going to do is what I want you guys to do, there's a little chest next to the giving, in between the giving and communion on the bar. And uh, you can drop that, that piece of paper into that chest and lay that before God in prayer and say, God, would you, and just pray for that person. God, would you help me, um, uh, 
you know, preach the gospel to this person, to build a relationship with this person, to love this person, to, to, to remind me to pray for this person. Now, God can do something miraculous to just, you know, save these people, but wouldn't it be cool if God used you to be a part of it? Like, think about that for a moment, like you being a part of God's plan to reveal the mystery to that person. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to put your, all those names into that chest. You can come up for communion, and as you do that, you can drop the name in, into the chest. And then tonight, we have a, we have a prayer meeting, 5 o'clock every first Sunday here at this church. Next week, month, it might change because we have a competing thing happening in here. It, we'll get to that later. Um, but every, so tonight at 5 p.m., we're going to have a prayer meeting. We're going to pray over these names. We're going to ask the Lord to do. There's this really cool story in Mark where there's this paralytic man. He can't walk. He's lame. And it means, like, not that he's, like, not cool, but he, he can't walk. And, and he's, he's on a blanket. And, and Jesus is teaching in a house. And his friends want to see this man healed. And so they pick this man up. They get onto the roof of the house. and start digging. There's, like, mud and, and hay. And so they start digging through the roof to lower this man down into, like, Jesus is teaching. And there's just, like, stuff falling from the ceiling. And, like, just, like, imagine, like, hay getting in your eyes. Like, how frustrated that would be. But they lower this man. They want to see their friend healed so badly. They, like, destroy someone's roof to lower this person in because they can't get into the door because there's too many people in this house. So they lower this man down in the middle, and Jesus says to the man who can't walk, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. His friends brought him. His friends brought him. He didn't walk there himself. What, what, what faith did he have? He was just laying down. His friends brought him to the foot of Christ. And, and, and my pastor, Brian, you know, was preaching uh, this past Sunday and made a point I never thought of before. But think about what that man in that moment thought. Oh, that's cool. My sins are forgiven. I can't walk, dude. Like, bro, can you do something about that? Like, that's why, we, that's why we came in here. Like, I don't need my sins forgiven. I just need. But Jesus knew more than he needed to walk, he needed his soul healed. More than he needed his legs healed, he needed his heart opened to the gospel. Right? And so you got friends who need all sorts of things. And more than those things... They need Jesus. So that needs to be in the forefront of our mind as Christians, that we would pray for them, that we would seek them. And so tonight, we are going through, to prayer, through prayer, bring these names before Christ and ask God to heal, forgive their sins, and to heal their souls and open their hearts to the gospel. And ask God that he would use us, his church, to reveal the manifold wisdom of God to these people. I'm standing here today because Jen Wiley, my neighbor growing up, prayed for me, on her weekly prayer list. Or was it weekly or monthly? I think it was monthly. She had a weekly one. I was a little like, why did I make the weekly prayer list? Uh, but she prayed for me every month before I was a Christian. And God saved me when I was like 15, 16, 17 years old. Sometime in there. I'm not really sure. Because someone prayed for me. So let's just begin praying for these people and praying that God will work in their lives. I'm going to pray for us. Um, and then we are going to respond by eating, drinking, giving, singing and laying these, nows, these names before Christ. Father God, I thank you so much for uh, this church, this, fa this family, God, that I get uh, the privilege to be a part of. God, I pray that um, as we bring these names before you, Lord, that you would do a mighty work in these people's hearts. God, I pray that you give us the privilege to be a part of that work, God, that we could be ministers of reconciliation in their life. We can be ambassadors for Christ, speaking the good news of our King in his kingdom, that he rules and reigns, and he's good if you would just come on in. Repent and believe. Come into the kingdom. God, I pray that you would empower us through your grace. 
that your love would control us, would compel us to be faithful missionaries in a world that so desperately needs us. It needs us to go abroad, but it needs a lot of us to stay here and be faithful. And to be like Paul and say, no matter what difficulties come, those things are not eternal. My God is, my King is, and I will preach Him, and I will talk about Him, and I will love Him, and I will be a good, faithful missionary. God, would you give us men and women who want to see your kingdom advanced across Western North Carolina and to every county of the 828? God, I love you. God, you're, you're already starting this, and so we thank you for what you've done. Would you continue? Would you do even more than we could think or imagine with these names? We love you. We want to sing praise to you for what you're doing and for what we expect that you will do. I love you. Amen.